Hi team, you're listening to Equally Lost, a weekly podcast on design, business and existential crises. This is Sophia speaking and today with me is... Elsa, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to build a snowman? Oh my god, I'm going to quit this episode right here. It's been <laughs> seven years, let it go. <laughs> that was actually a very traumatic time in my life. Um, I was in Belgium living at the, living in Brussels at the time and it came out and there was this guy in my chem class who like would not let it go no pun intended like he would constantly be making fun of my name for it and and then of course like three four years later when people had started forgetting that Elsa was a Frozen character they made a second one and I was just like why would you do this to me seriously <laughs> like oh my god and then, <laughs> but then it was like also a great conversation starter because <clears throat> I was at a UWC alumni event some time ago actually I, this was like pre-pandemic so everything was just like one big bore <laughs> but um and I was seated next to this woman who saw my name tag and was like oh Elsa's such a nice name like that's my daughter's name and you know me kind of like being a bit cynical I was like oh yeah well my parents named me that because it, before it was cool <laughs> and then she was like oh no like my daughter was born in like 2013 or something like she was there before as well I think but then she turned out to be this like very accomplished person who promised to help me with my thesis and that was a really long way of saying my name is kind of good now well I mean when your name gets you places you know but I feel you um do you know the Spanish song like Sofia by like Alvaro Soler like I swear to god for like an entire summer it was like a summer craze this kind of song that was like oh mira mira Sofia something like that uh, and Every time I went dancing with my friends, the song would turn, like, they would play the fucking song in the place. And then everyone would, like, they all would turn to me and, like, point at me because I'm called Sophia. I'm like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's not even a nice song. Like, what the fuck? Um, but, yeah, I feel you. But it didn't get me a TZ supervisor or a help, so <laughs> also sucks. Yeah. the um, Sophia is becoming like one of the most popular names in Europe though like I I love names this is like a little tick that I have like I absolutely love hearing what people name their babies I don't know why I just find it super interesting I feel like it says so much about a person and what they name their children and so I was like looking at this like list of the most common names in most like popular given names in Finland last year I think and Sophia has been topping the charts like year after year. And there was a really interesting remark that this like researcher from the University of Helsinki made, which is that people more and more give names to their children that work in a variety of languages. Um, and that's true across Europe. And that's why Sophia has become so popular is because it works in Italian, it works in Finnish, it works in Swedish, like, you know. Emma is also another name that like works in any language. Yeah. Like you can't butcher the pronunciation of Emma. But I mean, how can you, can you blame them though? Like my name is amazing. Like I, I like my name because of its meaning. What does it mean? So, so I think in Asian, Asian, it's a Greek name. So, you know, it comes from, um, it means like knowledge and slash wisdom. You know, oh, philosophy right. has a Sophia in it. I knew that. Why did so I say? Like, oh, oh, I'm so dumb. It's Sophia. Cool. 
what else has been going on in your life? I mean, there was Easter, uh, Easter last weekend. We didn't really celebrate, but it was also my dad's birthday. So ate a lot of cake. Then the weather has been kind of shitty, which kind of ruined my plans to go to a lot of parks and sunbathe. Um, so I've been really just working. We have a break for Easter now, like this entire week. So I've just been working on my thesis. I started doing that and I'm doing a quantitative thesis. So I'm like coding stuff and I feel... I feel really cool when I'm able to do things, although I, most of the time I'm not even sure if I'm calculating things the right way. Are you using Stata or R? Stata. Stata is so state, fun. Stata is my religion. Like, I don't Stata's want to do anything so from fun. R. Right? It's so nice. Yeah. And on Saturday, I'm going to pick up t- tulips with my mom. <laughs> because <laughs> they, they planted, um, like the city council planted, like, an entire field of tulips and you can just uh, pay to like entry and like pick pick I uh, pick up as many as you want so it's gonna be pretty <laughs> I love that oh really that's awesome. great what yeah, about you that's... I'm on break right now too actually today is my first day um normally in the states we have spring break which is like 10 days long <laughs> as witnessed by the fact the first year like freshman year spring break I went to Hong Kong and that was like a reasonable thing to do but now my spring break is literally four days and two of those days is a weekend so it's basically just a long weekend and we're kind of crabby about that but um you know it makes sense though because obviously I think we talked about this last episode to be honest I have like Mm -hmm. a faint memory but they obviously don't like want people to travel and actually you know um another NESCAC I think it's Bates College they were in a situation that's similar to ours right now where it's like they were really really good but now they have like 75 cases on their campus and they could all be traced back to like three parties and so our administration has been really really nervous for good reason and so now I just hope that like over the weekend people like don't travel out of Addison County that people don't travel out of Vermont so that we can finish the semester and not get evacuated again because that would be really bad but no that was like a that was a negative tangent compared to how good I am right now honestly like I'm in a very good mood it's very warm. I just got tested for COVID. I think I'm going to do yoga or Pilates outside after this. And yeah, beautiful, really. It sounds like a great plan, to be honest. But aren't you, uh, aren't you students getting vaccinated? I got vaccinated last Friday. But not the entire campus is like vaccinated yet? Not, not yet, no. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, like more and more people are like every day there's like new people who get vaccinated like progressively it's getting better but we're nowhere near like a threshold where people Mm. would actually be like safe you know so it gives me a lot of peace though knowing that people are constantly getting vaccinated and by the time that we come back for my senior year in September most people are going to be you know immunized And so then hopefully, hopefully, hopefully my senior year can be like somewhat normal because to be honest, this would be really sad. Yeah, do not tell me like my graduation ceremony is going to be online. Yeah, that actually is like, that breaks my heart. Like, yeah, 
uh, for, for our seniors last year, they had a Zoom ceremony and that just like, no, it's like actually heartbreaking because like you do so much work over four years or three in your case. And then the thing that caps it off is like you being on Zoom. A slideshow. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so for the people that are graduating this year, they're having like an in-person sem- ceremony for the graduates, but then like their families can't come, which is also really sad. Um, because I feel like that's something that you want to experience with your family like with your loved ones Um, and then I think they're trying to like make up for the class of 2020 by having them do the same thing like they can walk across the stage I think but yeah do you have a don't even get me started this week oh yes I do (laughs) Sophia you are not ready for this Okay. So I, hit me. I originally, I originally was going to talk about something completely different, but then yesterday I was on Facebook. I don't know why. It's probably because I'm bored, and I came across this post by the New York Times. And the New York Times has this thing called their ethics column, where like people, like their readers, will write to them with like legitimate ethical dilemmas. Usually, like. For example, there was one time when like a woman wrote about how she had like gone to volunteer um, in Senegal, I think. And she started like sending money to this guy who she met there, like a young man. And then like, it turns out that he had like lied about a lot of things that he had done with the money or something like that. And then she was like, oh, like I want to keep supporting him, but like also he has like broken my trust. Like, what should I do? And those are like actually like kind of, you know, complicated situations. This, however, is just an absolute shit show. Let me read it to you. And then I want to hear your like knee jerk reaction. I'm the parent of a child who was conceived by an in vitro fertilization and surrogacy using the sperm of a Caucasian man and a donor egg from someone who is half Colombian and half Central American. My spouse and I are professionals and both Caucasian, so, knock on wood, our son will most likely not encounter financial hardships. May we in good conscience check Latino slash Hispanic on his college application. We don't need to decide this for many years, but it has been a topic of discussion and we would love to hear your reasoning. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I really don't know what to say. Like, shouldn't, you know, the purpose of in vitro fertilization, getting a kid when you're having hardships, getting one yourselves, rather than, you know, doing this like genetic picking of the race you want. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's not something I would even think about. Yeah. So the question I want to ask you is, like, if you were in the situation where, like, you're obviously white, but then, like, you had, like, an IVF baby with, like, sperm that's from, let's say, a Hispanic man, would you then check Latin slash Hispanic on their college application? So I think I'm answering this question by adopting more the point of view of someone who adopts a kid to be honest so like my reasoning would be the following um if you know i'm honest about the way my kid is conceived whether it's ivf or slash i think this applies to like adopted kids as well you know i would want if my kids want it wants it i would want my kids to also be close to like is root is or a root 
in terms of you know cultural identity so if my kid for example grows up like you know uh engaging with um latin american culture or like even learn spanish and like you know meets like latin american people at like a cultural center and like and um, and it goes there like weekly then i would do that because you would have like an alignment of identity but if that's just for like the sake of diversity when my kid basically grows as white as me that i don't really see the point yeah i think what you're saying goes kind of along what this columnist responded and i think they make like they do a very good job of pointing out that like an identity is not about just genetics like obviously it has something to do with that but mostly identity is about like how you see yourself and how other people identify you and so there's a really good quote that um they say is like you're presumably thinking that in college applications and this is a really important point because it's talking specifically about like an application form being identified as Hispanic slash Latino will give him some advantage and that if he hasn't experienced discrimination or borne the burdens of the identity, perhaps because he's not readily identifiable as Latino, this might be unfair. In that situation, he'd certainly be getting advantages designed for people with a different set of experiences than his. Deliberate engineering such an outcome would be wrong. Like, that's exactly how I feel about this. And the reason I I that. Yeah. And the reason I want to like, the reason this like really struck me, I suppose, because again, I'm listening to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biography. This is just like a continuous thing because I can never finish it because it's so darn long. But um, they're talking about the affirmative action cases. And I think like stuff like this makes it so, it says nothing about affirmative action per se. It says a lot about how white people and white parents specifically see affirmative action. Because I think the subtext of this is that like, oh, if my son is white on a form, that will be a disadvantage to him because affirmative action, like this assumption that somehow like people of color, including Hispanic and Latino people, have like a leg up on a white person by default through affirmative action, which is not true. That is like verifiably false. So yeah, this I just I just think is like really gross to engineer that kind of outcome where you like try to push your like culturally white son into a POC box I rest my case yeah no, I definitely agree with you like that's why my first comment was like shouldn't you just be happy you're getting a kid when you come from a situation where it was hard to like get it from like, getting in the first place to like natural means um yeah. like natural biological means and instead of like you know it's it's also similar to like but not to the same extent to birth tourism you know flying to the states and giving birth to your kid so the kid like has a u.s passport and that may turn out useful in the future i don't think it's the same thing no i i'm not saying it's the same i'm saying it's it's still you know um taking all the advantages of being an american citizens without paying the costs in a sense because well, you spend your life like in a like in a completely different country and but then you the reason why you do that is that you want to give your kids like good education when they're older and so again well, it's um, well okay yes but like the US citizenship isn't like a program that's designed to like alleviate or like correct for 
systemic disadvantages. Oh no, okay, yeah, no, I think I was comparing like the the frame of thought of the parent. I'm not comparing the American citizen to affirmative action. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Like parents trying to like engineer opportunities for their child. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's in that sense, yeah. But then, like, also, if you think about, like, what kind of okay, I think Chiara Ferrani like gave birth to her son like specifically in Los Angeles so that he could have American citizenship. But that's like, I don't think that's like necessarily. She's also an American like, citizen. Yeah. Okay. She became one. Um. Okay. So then that's a bad example. But like, if you think about like what's like the kind of demographic that usually like does birth tourism is like, for example, like my parents would have had no reason to like go and try to get me an American passport because the Finnish passport is like already a strong one. And so then it's like, okay, if you're, let's say from someone Eastern Europe that may or may not even be like an EU country or you're from mm-hmm. Central America and you're like trying to get all those benefits, like kind of, you know, push your kid like closer to the global center which is the united states like then that you know you are actually producing more opportunities for them if that makes sense yeah no makes sense yeah anyway just like i think like yeah whilst the the whole form thing is more about protecting your own white privilege (laughs) yeah by by stealing an arabist's identity yeah paradoxically yeah yeah Exactly. And I think the thing that we should take away from this is that America is wild and American college applications are wild. (laughs) Been through that. Yeah. I don't look forward to when my kids have to do that because it's a shit show already and it's getting harder every year. What did you want to talk about this week? So (laughs) I was thinking that we could talk about what the worst like lifestyle fads are like absolute worst like lifestyle trends and i'm saying like lifestyle specifically because i think if i just say trend then you know we all have strong opinions about the balenciaga sock sneakers and like stuff like that and that's all like fun like we can talk about that but (laughs) sophia looks so pained right now (laughs) i was thinking more like you know how would you even define like a lifestyle fad? Should we take a step back and define a lifestyle first? Oh my god, we're gonna be here forever. I'm gonna Google. I mean, this. when you first pitched the idea to me, I was and I was brainstorming about horrible lifestyle trends I pursued. I think I would define it as like a set of habits, rituals, routines, but also I think it inter it interrelates with attitude towards life or attitude towards things yeah the sociological definition is the interest opinions behaviors and behavioral orientations of an individual group or culture so yeah i think pretty much what you said um so what has been one of your worst lifestyle trends oh um veganism (laughs) why you have to justify that to me what sparked that and why do you now (laughs) conclude that it was a bad decision okay so first of all disclaimer i have nothing against veganism per se i think veganism is great i still to this day don't like eat dairy and stuff like that like i and i don't eat meat and you know like i respect it and absolutely it has like ethical advantages it has huge ecological advantages however for me it was a really really bad thing so i think like veganism became a trend in finland while i was 
there before Hong Kong for a couple of years. And I was about 15 and all of my friends, you know, kind of started descending into this like, oh my God, like meat is murder and like, oh my God, like milk is bad for your body type of deal. And I was like, okay, you know, like I'll do that. And so we were all vegans, but then when you're 15, like you don't really have like the information available to you to, you know, really design nutritious meals around that. And so what ended up happening is that like, I was just tired all the time. I was not getting enough food. Um, But then moreover, I think the food part of it wasn't as bad. It was more like the mindset that I had around that. I'm a very obsessive person or like I, you know, get really like deep into things. And so it came to the point where like my mum would like ask me to buy milk from the store and I was like no I can't like I cannot like I will not do that that's wrong um and I would get like very upset about it and even in school like school meals um weren't usually vegan so I'd end up like just eating salad and I was like oh but this is like the ethically right thing to do and you know I think then we went to LBC and suddenly it was very hard to be vegan because none of the food was vegan. And then I was like, okay, well, like I can be a vegetarian, like I can eat eggs. And then, you know, as I matured and like gained a bit of nuance is that the realization that I had was that like, it's always better to just like, just drop cheese or something like advance very, you know, carefully in baby steps than to like go cold turkey and yeah so that was just like a bad bad phase in my life no I completely understand that because I you know sometimes it happens to me that I cook like a vegan slash vegetarian meal and so it occurs to me that oh I'm making like a vegan vegetarian meal good job Uh, but the point about veganism I think just it requires an immense amount of time and money because if you want to really like substitute all the foods and products like you really need to invest into the good replacements um and you know dedicate time to like do actual recipes and not just ending up like eating salad with tomatoes um so that's always something that has put me off from wanting to try being vegan or or even vegetarian to be honest i agree with you like i think it's just you know just substituting one one thing you eat whether that's like you know cheese or like milk with the with the plant-based alternative is a way to start and one thing I've been practicing actually more out of economic needs rather than uh ethical ones is like being a reducitarian because Mm -hmm. if you live like if you're a student and you live and you don't live at your parents' home, and you have, like, your own flat, you realize how much it fucking costs to, like, get meat or chicken or fish. So I've been, like, reducing um, my animal-based, like, protein intake a lot because Mm. of that. Like, I literally eat meat, I think, once a month or, like, once every two months. Um, And also my, my brother's vegetarian, so ever since he became one, even at home, we don't eat that much meat. Yeah, I think like for me, it was pretty easy to switch from like vegetarianism to veganism back to vegetarianism because like I haven't eaten meat since I was 14. Mm -hmm. Um, And even my mom, like for as long as I can remember, has not eaten red meat. 
and so it's been like you know a constant thing and now even when I go home like we never eat meat except for like my sister and my mom will sometimes have chicken and then during the summer especially we eat a lot of fish I love fish I love salmon I love fish I can't let go of that (laughs) but see now at age 21 I know that's fine because like I have cut out the things that are sustainable choices for me like in terms of lifestyle and the other thing that I wanted to say was like yes the expensive thing can absolutely be true like if you're you know really going to like substituting all of your meats with like you know impossible burger impossible meat and that's like something that they serve here a lot at the college um for some reason nowadays but those things yes are expensive but then I have a friend who started veganism with me at age 15 and she's still a vegan and she was a lot better about it like just in terms of like the mental side of it and I think like at some point it's the same thing with vegetarianism where like you just like don't think about it anymore like you don't gravitate toward like the milk in the store you don't gravitate toward like the eggs anymore like you just like kind of have this mental rolodex of like the things that you can eat and the things that work for you and like you can totally make like calorie dense meals out of like vegan stuff as well and so I think that's like a matter of learning um to a large extent that's true I mean with every like habit it requires practice and adjustment so and also like nowadays there are so many great resources for vegan Mm -hmm. cooking I think like the thing I realized is that like I feel a lot better when I eat vegan however because I'm at college and I'm on the college meal plan and the thing costs a lot of money and I don't want to like you know waste that um I don't have as much control over like what exactly I eat but I could very well imagine that like when I graduate and move into my own place that I might like start eating plant-based a bit more but we'll see I do really I, I do really enjoy my omelette I was hoping you might do the next one. Okay, so one is, I mean, it's it's ongoing. It's a perennial state, which is a fucked up sleep cycle. But um, I think now if you're thinking back to myself, my stupid dumb self when I was like 15, it's smoking. I used oh. to smoke. Is that really a trend? Or was that more I, just like... I mean, yeah, it's a phase. But um, it's, I think... It, it can be framed as a trend if you think about the whole attitude and lifestyle want to build around it. You know, when you're like 15, <laughs> rebel face, you have a blog on on Tumblr and, mm. you know, you're the misunderstood kid with like broken dreams and um, nobody cares about you because the world doesn't care. <laughs> and so um, the only thing you can, so the only way you can, you know, um, exhale your pain out of your lungs is through smoking. And I remember I used to do this thing that whenever I got a sore throat, I would basically medicate it with, mom, please don't listen to this. Uh, I would, I would, I would like cure myself with um, smoking um, mint flavored uh, camel cigarettes oh my god because I was just like so sure that the mint would like put that away and in what universe does that make sense (laughs) it made sense in my head and it was a placebo effect and it actually worked um but um yeah so these were dark times (laughs) these were dark times actually let's talk about the tumblr thing a bit more because that was like 
a very like a weirdly specific time in the world like I'm thinking like 2013 14 maybe 15 I remember that was like my punk rock phase the only thing I listened to was Blink 182 and Five Seconds of Summer and it was like everyone was wearing Vans and you were like taking those pictures of like you know when like like gasoline is on the street and it creates like this yeah. rainbow thing like you were taking with like, the holographic exactly like your f- pictures of your feet with that and like all of that 100 i was that girl i was listening to dxx and um arctic, arctic monkeys all oh, the yeah. time and like arctic i would and also in the well. 1975 yeah <laughs> uh, was mood and then um you know just going like wearing like bands t-shirts um platform shoes yeah you still wear doc martens like to this day yeah of course i do i mean this is (laughs) part of my personal identity i've been doing that since i was 12 i can't stop they're so comfortable see okay but there's this like theory that someone had which is that like whatever the thing was that you were obsessed with when you were 13 becomes a part of your like permanent identity and i was thinking about that and i was like oh my god yeah because like to this day like of course i listen to like blink what age you still of course i still listen to led zeppelin because they're great but it's like so much of how I think about myself is formed around me being like 14 and being the girl in the class who wears like the all black and who like reads a little literature and is this like misunderstood kid and it's so funny <laughs> to think about it's if, oh my god <laughs> I mean definitely like the total black stuck with me like you know I I need to have like a black piece in my outfit that's just like yeah you know it's it's because you know when you're 14 15 is like one of the first times in your life you're consciously trying to express yourself um uh, and express your personality while it is molding so you know I still hang on my Dr. Martins or a black coat or something black um and earrings and you know rock music because that just you know the foundation of the person I am today and I still like these things but I also you know evolved my taste and also I'm way more open-minded to trying new things whilst when I was 15 I was like no oh my god like that's so mainstream uh I'm just gonna like do my uh tumblr thing and you know leave me alone because I'm special yeah Uh, so exactly the crux of this is that from like 2011 to 2014 there was also like my overlapping one direction phase I was so into dude like I sometimes think about it and I was like I like my entire life revolved around one direction at one point like when I was 12 that was the only thing that like had any meaning to me and the thing is like to this day like I didn't have a lot of friends in Finland just because like you know circumstances um I was just like haven't been there and like was not there for a long time but the friends that I do have I've met through One Direction and it's like of course we don't talk about that anymore like we're so far like past that point like I met them through like One Direction like fan stuff or like through Twitter like literally seven years ago and it's crazy because we would not have met otherwise. I I wasn't 
yeah, no, I was like, I never really liked the, the music that much, but I was so into the fan fictions, like so into that, <laughs> like I read so many. And I, I remember like I hit rock bottom when I started reading them because I was following all this like Facebook fan pages about One Direction and they would post like pictures of them and in the description will be a piece of the fan fiction i would like stay up until like 3am scrolling through the pictures to keep reading the story and the storyline was always the same it was either zane or ari and there was like this broken girl that you know wears like large sweaters and it's secretly like the most beautiful person on planet but she thinks she's ugly and she's white and and then you know and zane or ari are like kind of like bullies but then you know they're the ones that they're different with me and I know I can change him kind of guy and so that kind of like toxic yeah toxic toxic uh relationships uh starts and then there's there are like some daddy issues and you know oh, yeah. just so <laughs> cringe let's appreciate the intertextuality of the <laughs> one direction fan fiction and like the idealized girl figure the like very archetypal girl figure in these wet pad um fan fiction and you know the archetype that we were like all performing in our tumblr stages like they're the same thing they are the same thing of course because they were written at the time by people like us yeah exactly yeah so basically we were just projecting i mean i never wrote fan fiction um but like people obviously like in fan fiction project a lot of their own shit just like onto the idol Mm. And this still happens with like K-pop. I think it's even worse, to be honest. Like it's like progressed to a point where it's like objectification. In a lot of senses, like one of my friends, he's doing, I don't know, know exactly what the class is. It might be like um, remix culture or something, but they were talking about K-pop specifically. And he was asking about like my experience in that because he knows that I am into BTS. The thing is, I'm like not that, I'm not as deep in the cave of culture as some people because I think I'm a bit too old, maybe. Like, I'm just like not that like in the loop with a lot of things. But like the thing that I do know about like the BTS culture is that people project like their own mental health issues onto them. They project like their own like sexual identity onto them. And like that creates these like entire subcultures within the fandom that in my opinion get to be destructive if I'm completely honest Mm, yeah no 100% I mean it's another like sort of escapism you know uh you just you know seek refuge in the idealized life that you will want to have with the person that idealized in the first place yeah and absolutely and like before anyone comes at me like I'm not saying that all k-pop fans are like this like people get so fucking defensive over this and then they forget that I've literally like BTS since 2016 like I know exactly what goes on around in that world like I'm not against you but like also sometimes people just need a reality check and here it was Yes, period. So that actually leads perfectly into a thing that I think is still kind of pertinent thing that people are like talking about more right now is the I'm not like other girls culture. Oh yeah, it's so toxic, man. It's so fucking toxic. Yeah. I hate the I I hate the I don't like the other girls culture. Like I used to be such a fan. Um you know, I think 
my opinion is that you would at first like I joined it I definitely joined it because I don't I didn't really you know represent or reflect the ideal like archetype of the popular attracting girl at high school uh for us it was always like blonde a bit dumb um uh body of a certain size a certain way and uh blue eyes and I am like dark and medium tall (laughs) (laughs) and and so you know um I realized I was like jealous of these girls because I wanted to have the same attention um and you know so I but then I you know try to build on my self-esteem by you know framing myself as the other girl so you know telling myself okay it's okay if you don't if you're not like that popular or if you know if guys don't like you and it's not like I was a social butterfly in high school like I had friends everything never like struggled with that it's just that you know when you're like a certain age you just want people to like you and I used to go out with some of my friends that every time we went out I like three guys would always like like her Mm. and I was always like oh okay yeah typical um you know you just don't think you have what it takes to be likable so you join that and that helps you and that helps like your personality formation because you know uh you're like I'm the other girl so what's this other girl made of and you know it's me it's Sophia so you claim uh, your you know interests I'm like I was the girl that was really into philosophy at the time was really into drawing I was really into music uh, some things I'm still into um, to this day and so that was my way to make peace with it but now I fucking hate it because it just creates like competition between girls and yeah. like the guy that frames you as you're not like you're not like other girls I'm like what like what does that even mean like it's just such an empty phrase and it's honestly quite demeaning to to get um to hear that from someone because you know you're just you're not even like trying to get to know me you're comparing you're comparing me to the like feminine stereotype of you know female beauty and um yeah so these are my thoughts yeah yeah, I think like the like guys telling you that like you're so not like other girls, like now feels really offensive because I mean all that the I'm not like other girls culture is is internalized misogyny. Period. That's all it is. Like 100%. there is nothing. Like there is nothing. Like there is no grand purpose to it. It's literally just like internalized misogyny. And like when you think about like the you're not like other girls, that leads like straight into like the cool girl like the archetype which is basically just like a woman but she's like masculine in just the right ways like think about like Rosamund Pike's character in Gone mm-hmm. Girl like Amy Elliott is like the perfect cool girl she has this entire monologue at some point in the in the novel where she's like oh like the cool girl is like eats like eats pizza and like doesn't wear makeup like doesn't yeah, she like- does wear makeup but like not in like an obvious way and then like she drinks and she burps but then she like also like is perfectly shaven and like skinny and that just the right equilibrium of like femininity and masculinity for it to fulfill like these really misogynist ideals oh 100 like whilst the 16 15 year old me would have loved to hear the phrase you're not like the other girls from a guy would have just meant that you know like to me that the guy would have seen beyond what was you know the stereotypical um female looks that 
guys were looking for at that age but now it's just you know in, yeah internalized monogyny like it's just like oh yeah you have, like you have the perfect it's, it's true just like what you said and you're not even trying to yeah you're not even trying to get to know me um like I see I'm really trying to get to know me you're just you're just comparing me to another stereotype yeah yeah exactly and I mean like in the process like one comparing you to another stereotype is also you know discounting this or like completely just like demeaning this like imagined other girls which is like girls who like makeup and girls who like to talk to other girls about you know stereotypically feminine things and stuff like that and like people who'd like genuinely enjoy those things and that's who they are and you're like completely discounting them yeah the way that this has manifested on TikTok, I think, is fascinating because it's moved so far past the like, oh, I like only wear black and I like books and other girls like makeup and pink. Like it's moved so far past that like obvious dichotomy where like now if you go on TikTok and there's these like um, videos of like, oh, introduce yourself as the thing that other girls hate you for. And it's a really weird dynamic because someone will be like, oh, like my body's natural. Like, like these complete just straw men. It's almost like you're rejoicing in the idea that other people hate you for something when in reality, probably no one has ever done that. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, this is just exemplifies why it's toxic because once again, it's just another competition. Like it's just another form of competition for the male gaze. Literally. Yeah. Like you're just... Um, Period. Yeah. You're just setting this new trend uh, to dictate on a new standard of beauty, which is the cool girl beauty, which is the, you know, um, effortless, uh, really natural kind of girl. And, you know, and you're selling that as the best form of beauty because of the way it's way more, you know, low, ma- low maintenance that, you know, curling your hair and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like competition for the male gaze once again. Yeah. That's like the perfect way to frame it, honestly. And then like, if we turn to talk about like, oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff about like, oh, like can't talk right now doing hot girl shit. Like I love it because like hot girl has become like so mainstream. And like, I think there's like, I don't know how to explain this, but like I was having a conversation um, a while ago. Like it was kind of like, it wasn't a conversation. It was like a joking, like back and forth with my housemate. And like, I was at the kitchen table, like our dining room table in our house and I was doing a problem set and I looked absolutely fucking horrendous like I looked like an absolute rat I'd just come out of the shower but I hadn't taken my mascara off so I had like rings around my eyes um and then I was like telling him was like oh you know like my hot girl party trick is that I can write latex and I was just like jokingly saying that and he was like looking at me and I was like oh like like bold bold of you to assume that you're in the hot girl club and I was like of course I am like of course I am and the thing is that like by claiming hot girl for everyone is that we're taking away the power of classification from men because the only thing and I'm telling you this as like a pep talk and this is an absolute truth is the secret to being a hot girl is believing that you're a hot girl that is the yes. only quality yes 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 yeah. that's why I'm that's in the um, that's yeah. why I'm in the club like it's so yeah. inclusive you know exactly. like yeah reclaiming the hot girl face is like it's so powerful I'm so glad it's like this is becoming yeah. a thing like in the in the past like 
the past year. Yeah, hot girl has nothing to be a hot girl. It has nothing to do with like what you look like or what you're like in general. Being a hot girl is you thinking that you're a hot girl, and that is the only qualifier. And no one else can tell you no. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I'm such a fan. Yeah. So like, reject the not like other girls culture and just join the hot girl club. Any other lifestyle choices you regret? <laughs> do you have any? I think I do.、Um, I think. I mean, we talked a lot about it a lot in on this podcast, especially in season one. But I think you know, like the whole workaholic culture、mm-hmm. was kind of a bad lifestyle for me, especially when it was、um, in Hong Kong. I guess part of it is due to the cultural aspects of Hong Kong culture. You know, the classical workout play hard culture, where you're only like. There's a lot of desire to, you know, there's a lot of pressure from families to, to do valuable and respected things in your life. Given that you know, families spend a lot of invest a lot of money more than they can afford、uh, in and the education of the kids, so they want to see that return from the investment. And I think it was bad for me because I was overworking myself, over overtiring myself, and I literally. Um, said no to so many things because I had to work, and at the time I thought it was just you know strong work ethic, but it was just like an unhealthy mindset to work. Yeah, I I mean I definitely agree with that.、Um, I think it shows de- tremendous growth in myself that I can right now be like on my first day of break and I don't feel bad about not working. Like actually, I made a plan for myself like today and tomorrow I'm not gonna work at all, and then on Saturday if I feel like hey I'm gonna go to the library. And so I definitely agree. I wonder if we can talk a bit more about like hustle culture and like you know, it's more extreme form. You know, I watched a, I watched a video essay yesterday of these guys that were banned off of TikTok, and like their entire idea is like, oh, how to get girls and how to get fit and how to make money. And I think seriously, that is the most toxic form of hustle culture. Like you know these accounts that have like as their name like CEO lifestyle and like and like in reality they're like some Robin Hood investor. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like it's yeah. so、uh, cringy. Yeah, no, it, they just like one、mm. they perpetuate materialism and materialistic values.、Um, you know, such as you know you know just having like money and having a, like a nice house.、Um, two, they. Also, reinforce capitalist definitions of worth, which is what I struggle with the most. And it's what you were saying earlier about you know feeling not feeling bad about taking a day break and not working or not doing anything productive because that's what I struggle with. Like if I don't do anything for a day, I just keep thinking that I didn't do anything,、um, which is you know I, I can't do that for more than two days in a row. To be honest,、um, that's just. Who I am.、Um, I just feel like my time is wasted. When in reality, that's not waste of time. Like you're doing other、yeah. things. It's just you're not even considering the, considering them as things because they're not falling within your umbrella definition of productive. Exactly.、Um, and then three, like, you know, it's it's kind of similar to what we talk about about Instagram families. They're selling yourself only one type of living, and they're completely also. You know, one type of living, they're completely like completely discounting that people make different life choices, and you know, people may value different things, but they sell it to to you as if it's the only thing you should be caring about. 
Right. I think the thing that I thought about most, or like the thing that I always think about most, like with these, like whenever I see this kind of like CEO lifestyle, like stuff pushed, like especially on TikTok, to be honest. But it's like, I don't know why I talk about TikTok so much. I haven't been on the app in like a month, but I have like so many <laughs> observations from when I was on there um, during quarantine. But so the thing that I thought about most is like, it's just like, cringy doesn't even begin to actually really encompass it I think like the thing that I always feel when I look at this is like it paradoxically just like is so cheap it is so cheap like you know the entire like premise of centering your love around like being flashy not just about you know your wealth but also about your like the girls you can pull and stuff like that it's like it's in bad taste it's not classy it's not like something desirable at all yeah to be honest um yeah it's quite cheap I get that like in the sense all you're doing is trying to seek external validation because you're constantly trying to prove yourselves with things people might like and you know it's like talking about tumblr there was like this famous like post like graffiti that was saying something like oh we buy things we don't like to impress people no we buy things we, we don't want to impress people we don't like right and i think that like summarizes it in a sentence like you you're doing things you don't even care about to impress people you don't even care about yeah exactly i completely agree and i think that that actually like ties this together really nicely is that i think when you are secure in yourself when like a person is secure in themselves and when a person knows who they are and what's important to them and this goes back to like our episode on the art of being alone because the only way you can actually figure out what's important to you is to like sit with yourself and really reflect on your values is um when you're secure in yourself you don't feel the need to be flashy you don't need feel the need to have all these like external markers and um, I think that is always like a quality that I value in other people. 100%. But I wanted to ask you, so we talked a bit about this bad <laughs> lifestyles, but how do you, like, do you think you got out of the lifestyle, like deliberately, or is it more through, is it more, you know, just that you eventually grow up and you just get into a different phase and so into a different lifestyle? So is the question like, did I actively choose to quit or did I just grow out of it over time? Yes. With veganism, it was definitely like a very like straight cut just because like LPC, it was really hard to like eat canteen food and be vegan and like get enough calories in a day because like it was Mm -hmm. just like not nutritionally dense. So that was like a very, you know, snap decision. Also, I was just like quite unhealthy at that point. With other things... I think it has legitimately just like been a question of maturing, gaining some nuance into the way that I look at things. You know, very few things in the, in life are like completely black and white. And I think like a big part of maturity is to see that there are gray areas and the gray area that I found, for example, in like the not like other girls thing is that actually it's not a gray area. It's not a gray area at all. I've just like, I've, I've found that's complete bullshit, but it took me, you know, aging a bit and seeing like talking to all kinds of people, meeting new people um, and like really reflecting on those things to get out of it. That was a very long answer, but yeah. Yeah, I would say the same. Uh, 
I grew out of it and matured about things way more than I like deliberately chosen to stop. I will say like with workaholism, like I was very, very uptight in freshman year. And it got to the point where like I had pneumonia at the end of freshman year because I like would not let myself just, you know, <laughs> you know, heal from my bronchitis. And I still went to lecture, even though I had a fever, I was still studying all the time. And I think like it got to a point where I was like so unhealthy that it was impossible to continue from there. And so I really, you know, learned that the hard way kind of the same uh, with me because I remember that when I was uh, back from Hong Kong I would when I was back from Hong Kong I did like this uh, check for my back and I basically like ruined one of my back muscles because of the way I was sitting all the time and I was sitting all the time studying and I remember my mom like looked at me and she was like Sophia and she told me this sentence in Latin which is like mensana in corpore sano which means healthy mind in a healthy body you know um so and from there I was like yeah like I can't ruin my back at eight at 19 years old because I'm stunning that much like and also I was like getting so frustrated with not following you know my schedule which is which was over like unrealistic at its best like you know even a robot could do like the amount of stuff I wanted to do and it was a constant I was considered you know like punishing myself for that by scheduling in more work and by saying no to like more enjoyable things and yeah I think I just learned at some point I got tired of it I was like fuck this shit I'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna (laughs) enjoy like I know I'm smart I don't need this system I I just need to be organized enough to do what I want to do and that doesn't mean I have to say no to like friends self-care or whatever beautiful yeah on that note do you have an overhead i do let me get it for you it's from uh overheard new york i mean it kind of relates to the other girl um other girl um, uh thing we were talking about although not to the same extent so overheard new york lower east side Man, cat calling, woman. I will kill to see what's under that mask, ma. Woman pulling down mask, bad lip filler and hormonal acne, bro. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah, go. Hell yeah. I love that. Well, Sophia, I think this was really fun. <laughs> As always. As always. Guys, if you want to support the podcast, please remember to rate us on iTunes, subscribe wherever you're listening, and do tell your friends and send in voice notes. We already got some really nice feedback on the first episode of season two, and please do keep it coming. Sophia, I'll see you next week. See ya.